Welcome to another episode of Dartha Means Rule of Two. This is the Sith Podcast where we break down everything that's happening in the Star Wars world. And right now, everything that's happening is The Mandalorian. Uh, right before we started recording, it was brought to my attention that we didn't give you an episode last week for Chapter 12, which would be Episode 4 of Season 2. So we're going to combine the two of those, as Maze pointed out to me. It kind of takes the wind out of sail of episode four, given what happened in episode five. <laughs> Dartha means rule of two episodes. There it is. We're, this is what we do, ladies and gentlemen. We give you the wit along with the witty. Really quick, episode four of season two, a.k.a. chapter 12, The Siege. This was the episode directed by Carl Weathers, which was pretty cool. No surprise, we see Carl Weathers come back as Grief Karga, the head of the Bounty Hunters Guild, Cara Dune, the ex-Rebellion shock trooper turned mercenary on the run, is now the Marshal of Navarro. They're turning that place around, I mean. Yeah, it's it's a bustling kind of, it's a nice, it looks like a nice place to live, right? As opposed to before, it really had a lot of most icely going with it, right? A lot of, this is a hellhole and everyone here is a piece of shit. Now it's like, oh, this is we have a school, and the school has a protocol droid that's like C-3PO teaching class. And we see uh, what we will later learn a name for, Baby Yoda, sitting on the class and hijinks using the Force, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I asked for more Baby Yoda action, and this episode did deliver. But once again, Baby Yoda only uses the Force when he's hungry. Or, you know, when he wants to do things. Again, that's a future callback. We'll get into that later. Eventually, Grief Cargo, Cara Dune tell Mando, hey, we need to take down this one last Imperial outpost that still exists. And so they go, they, they, they bust heads. I'll be honest, Maze, if you want to take the lead, because my memories are so fuzzy from this episode. I completely forgot we didn't even do an episode on it. It's not just an abandoned outpost as they suspected. Once they get inside, it turns out to be kind of an important science research center. We've got a hologram of Dr. Pershing, who's played by Omid Abtahi. We last saw him in Chapter 3, hanging out with Werner Herzog. And a recording of Dr. Pershing reveals that they harvested blood from quote-unquote, the asset, a.k.a. Baby Yoda, but they couldn't get as much as they ultimately needed because he's so small and cute, I mean. He doesn't have that much blood. Yeah. And so their experiments didn't quite work out. They keep failing, and they want to make sure the latest volunteer doesn't meet the same grisly fate. So if somebody is getting volunteered to be experimented on, there's a bunch of vials of creatures humanoid creatures it kind of makes you think of like independence day but they also kind of apparently look like supreme leader snoke right who we learned in the new trilogy was an experiment so that's probably what's going on there they're working on snoke and in the message he says they'll never find another donor with as high an m count as baby yoda M count the famed midichlorians, I mean. It makes a comeback. It went away, but it is officially back in the words of Magic Johnson. The <laughs> M count is officially back. Yeah, the <laughs> midichlorian count, if you remember from the prequels, was how we knew that Anakin Skywalker tested off the charts the highest midichlorian count 
anyone has ever seen. That's how they knew he was the chosen one. The force, apparently in the prequels for a little bit of time, was actually measurable in your bloodstream. And obviously Baby Yoda exhibits high force-wielding abilities. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit later as we ease into episode five. Who do you think the latest volunteer is, Mace? Oh, boy. I mean... This is what's happening now in this show. Epi- season one was a lot of, this is a new character. This is a new character. And this is someone who operated here, but this is a new character. And now season two seems to be a lot of, yeah, remember him? Remember her? Yeah, they're alive and they're here, right? So let's start with, do you think the latest volunteer, quote unquote, is someone new? Or someone that we've known from the past. I don't think that the volunteer in these experiments is what's important. So I would think that it's probably someone insignificant. Because I think that whoever eventually it ends up being successful on becomes Snoke. So right. that's the significant part to me. Got it. There's a lot of visual callbacks to A New Hope in this episode. The entire escape from the Imperial base, including like sneaking around that control panel on the catwalk. We've also got a TIE fighter chase into the canyon. Then there's a shot of the Star Destroyer flying overhead. The iconic Star Wars. It's how the whole thing started, and that's how they introduced Moff Gideon in person in this season. That's not a Star Destroyer that Moff Gideon is flying. No, but his sh- it's his ship is introduced in the same way. Flying overhead. We get the return of Captain Tiva, the X-Wing pilot from the Ice Spiders episode. He comes to question Grief Karga about the base explosion, and there's a lot more intergalactic cop humor. They're really, really playing that up. That's what the X-Wing pilots are doing now is they're going around making house calls, taking notes. And when Tiva bids Kara farewell, he leaves her a New Republic badge. So maybe Kara Dune... Is in listening. Maybe, although I think she's a lot happier. She seemed to be happy in this episode. Like, she's found purpose. She's not on the run anymore. She obviously has a great working relationship with Grief Karga. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if she enlists. I, I did enjoy the, the exchange between Grief and Tiva, where he says, you know, I don't know anything about a Razor Crest. And then he just goes off on him about how his technology is so old. It doesn't recognize anything pre-Empire. And not everything is like Coruscant. And like a lot of like, you find city boys. You don't know nothing about. <laughs> Things are a little different around these parts. There's a lot of, I've noticed in this, in a way that really didn't resonate in the movies, but did a little bit in Clone Wars and Rebels. A lot of the Outer Rim looks at the core systems as, you fucking fancy boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think everything is this. And the core systems look at the outer rim as like you fucking hillbillies, you know, riding around on your bantas. You don't know shit about shit. So it is that, that, that tension always, the country mouse, city mouse tension always tickles me whenever I'm watching Star Wars. This episode was also kind of considered a backdoor pilot to a possible Cara Dune spinoff show. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of her doing stuff by herself, and I think that that's not really a show I'm interested in personally, but I do like it when she shows up on Mandalorian. I don't know if she's the 
Gina Carano, if she's good enough an actor to carry her own show. No. She's great in the role that she's in because a lot of it is kick-ass, and she's obviously great at that as a former MMA fighter. Uh, the emoting and acting beyond strong, tough, and silent is less encouraging. Uh, I see in the notes here you said third use of Dank Ferrick in season two. They use it a lot now. I feel like they're really pushing this Dank Ferrick cuss word that we've never heard before, but now everybody apparently uses it. When will they reveal that one? They, they've revealed Baby Yoda's name, so maybe they'll keep stringing Dank Ferrick out. We also get the return of Horatio Sands as Mithral. Oh, yes. Not seen since the pilot episode, and he's driving a speeder that looks a lot like Luke's and, of course, gets crushed. During their exit, the armor's lair on Navarro is being looted by Aqualish. This is the species that first appeared in New Hope. Ponda Baba gets his arm cut off by Obi-Wan Kenobi in the cantina. What was the name of his homie? My man with the pig nose. Hey, what one and Ben? <laughs> he doesn't like you. Dr. Cornelius Evazen, or Evazen, I've never known how to say his name because we never actually hear it out loud. He makes, obviously, him and, and his homie Ponda make another really brief cameo in Rogue One when they're walking uh, walking through Jeddah City and they accidentally bump into uh, Jin Erso and Cassian Andor, you know, because it's crowded. And Dr. Cornelius turns around and he's got a real, like, I want to start some shit look on his, on his face. And Ponda has to, like, grab him, like, come on, man, let's go. Hold me back. Yeah, a little hold me back action there from Dr. Cornelius. Ponda is a... Aqualish. Aqualish, there you go. There's a statue of IG-11 on Navarro. Didn't even see it. Hero of the Liberation. It was, yeah. At the very end of the episode, we learn that one of the repairmen that fixes up the Razorcrest, Razorcrest looking spiffy, by the way, that Mon Calamari makeover has been wiped out and it's, it's back to its peak condition. But one of the repairmen was a spy from Moff Gideon. Now Moff Gideon presumably has a tracker on the Razor Crest and will be following them, showing up soon. And at the end of the episode, he goes into a room full of black armor suits that look like dark troopers, which were battle droids from the video games. I couldn't quite make out what they were. I didn't know if they were death troopers or some sort of experimental fleet, army fleet. Like, I, I just didn't know what was there. Um, you could make them out enough to say that they look like dark troopers? That's what the internet's saying. Oh, okay. Shout out to the internet. To me, I was just like, oh, sick. He's got another, you know, a squad of guys who aren't going to die quite as quickly as the stormtroopers, but still are going to die. Right. I enjoyed Baby Yoda throwing up because the aerial acrobatics of the Razor Crest. Highlighter blue. But he was having a great time. He was like, wee! Like, he had his hands up in the air and everything. That's why you're not supposed to have kids eat a bunch of treats before they go on roller coasters. There you go. That's what happens. Overall, an enjoyable episode. But, Maze, would you call this a filler episode? 100%. <laughs> it was yeah. literally a pit stop episode. <laughs> uh, uh, this, is, this is the thing you got to understand. So we saw this coming. A couple of weeks ago, when we looked at, obviously, when the name Ahsoka Tano came up and we saw the, um, we looked up the credits for the next couple of episodes and we saw Dave Filoni writing and directing episode five and not episode four. We knew there was going to be an episode with no Ahsoka in it because there's no way they were going to hand Ahsoka's introduction into live action Star Wars to someone other than the man who created the character. So 
If you love the episode four, and I did at the time, but you know, forgive us for glossing over this because we need to get to the real deal. Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. I'm going to start with a, with a criticism, Maze. Wow. As we move on to chapter 13, The Jedi, which is episode five of season two. I did not like how they dropped her, uh, dropped her on us out the gate. I wanted a buildup. I wanted mystery. I wanted, is it? Is it? And then finally, it's revealed in the same way that, you know, Luke Skywalker was revealed at the end of uh, Force Awakens, you know, unveiling the hood and you turn around and you see the hand like, oh, the chills in my body right now thinking of that moment. I wanted that kind of reveal for Ahsoka. And instead, literally almost immediately, we see her cutting down these battle droids and these, uh, you know, I guess mercenaries or whatever it is, these these uh, soldiers. Can I have to respectfully disagree? I mean, I thought this cold open was amazing. I thought that it did accomplish the chills reveal that we've been anticipating. And it set the tone for this perfect Kurosawa-inspired samurai theme. Yes. It was dope. And the way she just kept disappearing in the smoke, loved it. No, all well done. Don't get me wrong. All well done. Having said that, I just wanted a little bit more, a little bit more kind of subtlety to her introduction. Um, I was really impressed, by the way, how much Rosario Dawson looks like Ahsoka. Yeah, it was perfectly cast. All the makeup or the effects, even the way she held the lightsaber, they nailed it. They nailed it. Uh, The lightsabers are, of course, the white lightsabers that Ahsoka has always been known for. Um, we get a lot of, a lot of callback. I guess, I mean, we we need to stop here because there are a lot of people who watch the Mandalorian. They love the Mandalorian. They may have even watched all the Star Wars movies, but never watched Clone Wars and Rebels. So they don't know who Ahsoka is. This is, this is a very important character in the Star Wars saga, um, that obviously didn't appear in the movies. Ahsoka was the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker, right? In the Clone Wars, Anakin Skywalker was, you know, made they, – remember, they, they, they bumped him up to Jedi Knight because of how advanced he was and also because the wars weren't going so great. So they needed more guys out in the field. And they gave him a Padawan. The Padawan was named Ahsoka and she was a child at the time, but, you know, maybe like preteen, maybe like 12 years old or whatever, 13 years old. Um, and he, he and her had a very close relationship, like a, a, a father daughter, I mean, maybe not father, but like, dev, like a non, <laughs> non-romantic, very close loving relationship, uh, where he's very protective of her and she rightfully points out, yo, you do all this crazy shit. How can you tell me not to do it? And Obi-Wan from afar, obviously very amused says, oh, so, you know, Anakin is very do as I say, not as I do as a teacher. So uh, Ahsoka grows within the Clone Wars and she she gets more, more, more powerful and more respected until there is a plot to blow up the Jedi uh, Council the temple at, on Coruscant. And she's framed. She's unfair. She's, you know, detained and accused and all that stuff. And then Cad Bane, basically, who is a bounty hunter, probably the most successful bounty hunter in the Star Wars universe, other than 
Boba Fett, uh, was behind the bombing. Uh, Barris Ophi was the one who actually did the bombing. But basically, Ahsoka was innocent. She was wrongfully accused. But as a result, she's like, fuck the Jedi, fuck all this, walks out, quits the Jedi Order. Um, we, we know in epi- uh, season seven of Clone Wars that she still kind of has a soft spot for the Jedi until she goes into the underworlds of Coruscant and realizes that the people look at the Jedi as corrupt and, and kind of unfair and, and, and unjust. And so she really gets like a very negative attitude towards the Jedi, goes into exile, reappears in Star Wars Rebels as kind of a, one of the main, uh, inspirations and kind of like uh leaders of the rebellion albeit from a anonymous position fulcrum is her code name until so she reveals herself to a couple of jedi Ken- kanan jarris and a jedi padawan ezra bridger and uh in the in that uh season of rebels which is season two she ends up fighting darth vader on uh, the planet of malachor and Originally, Darth Vader basically makes her into a sushi roll. It's one of the, it's one of my all-time favorite episodes, favorite scenes in all of Star Wars, um, because at one point she's fighting and she cracks his helmet, and as you can hear his breath wheeze and you see his his face and his eye underneath, uh, he calls out her name, and his voice sounds like part James Earl Jones and part. Uh, the guy who does the voice of Anakin in the Clone Wars, and she freezes, and because um, she says "Master," and uh, she says, "I'm not going to leave you like I did last time," because obviously she walked out on on him and all the Jedi, or whatever. And it's at that moment, you know, you hear Vader say, "Then you will die," and it lights out from there on. Um, but it's a very important scene because. Other than Luke Skywalker, Ahsoka's pretty much the only person who's ever tapped into the emotion of Anakin underneath Darth Vader. So she's, and then like in the last season of of Rebels, she, I won't say she gets resurrected so much as they find a way to change the course of time to this place called the World Between Worlds. It's actually very well done. It's not like a, it's not cheap like Game of Thrones resurrection. It's it's very well done, and that's why she's alive now, basically. Uh, and we'll get to more about that in a bit. But Ahsoka Tano, all you need to know is this is a very important character in Star Wars, and the fact that she's been made a live action person played by Rosario Dawson. This was basically the big reveal of this season. This is what everyone has been waiting for. And she was created by Dave Filoni, right? Dave Filoni, yes. That, that's why you know. Can't do an episode about her without him. Absolutely. So Ahsoka is, she's laying siege to this place led by someone named the Magistrate. The Magistrate is played by Diana Lee Inosanto, who is uh, apparently a martial artist. She, this is what she does, so, which makes sense. Goddaughter of Bruce Lee. Really? Oh, there's where the Lee comes from. Good job. Um, and she's also a stunt performer, et cetera, et cetera. Her main general is, a, I guess, a mercenary played by uh, Michael Bean, who you might know as Kyle Reese from The Terminator. Very cool there. Mandalorian lands. He's looking for, obviously, this Jedi Ahsoka Tano, who he's been told by Bo-Katan is on this planet. Meets up with the Magistrate. Magistrate says, 
before he actually reveals that he's been looking for a Jedi, the magistrate says, oh, you're a bounty hunter. I've got a bounty for you. I want you to kill this Jedi, which I'm sure Mando is kind of like, oh, great. Like, this, is, this works perfectly. Yeah, you're giving me the info I need without me even having to ask. It's perfect. Exactly. Magistrate promises him this spear that's made out of pure Beskar, which obviously, as a Mandalorian, that's very, very important. So he goes out looking for Ahsoka. He does the thing that Luke did in The New Hope, which is look through binoculars or a telescope or whatever and see some things off in the background. And when he takes it down, he realizes that Ahsoka's right there. Ha! Briefly engage uh, in some combat. It's always, I love fights between Mandalorians and Jedi maze because Mandalorian have a lot of weaponry that's designed like anti-Jedi stuff. Yeah. They're fighting and stuff. And then Ahsoka notices the child and says, yeah, well, well, he says, Ahsoka Tano was sent by Bo-Katan to come find you. And she says, I hope it's about him. And she points to the child. And so now they're chilling, they're talking. Ahsoka evaluates the child and, they have a conversation, I guess, telepathically, and we finally find out his name. Maze, how do you feel about the name Grogu? Grogu! It's not cute enough. I mean, they set the bar impossibly high. They were never going to come up with the name good enough. For me, the, big, the bigger issue is that Grogu is suspiciously close to Rogu. It's the name of this parasitic slash symbiotic creature that comes off of Roger in American Dad. And Rogu <laughs> talks like this. And Rogu's a little slow. So every time I hear Grogu, I think of Rogu. And Rogu also is small and cute and a little in a kind of Quasimodo-ish way. So that kind of gets in the way. Every time I hear Grogu, I think, oh, boy. But it is funny to see Man- Mando say, Grogu? And then the kid turns around and looks at him. That's funny. Yeah. That's a great memeable moment. Yeah, he responds well to his own name. Which is funny because he hasn't heard his own name this whole time. Uh, we find out that Grogu was one of the younglings that survived Order 66 when it came down. This is the order that the Emperor had pre-programmed into all of the clones so that once he delivered it, they would automatically kill all Jedi. Uh, it is one of the great plot twists in cinematic history. Even though it wasn't executed great in the movies, it is actually a really great story. The idea that I'm going to start a war to, necessi- to necessitate the commissioning of an army, to have this army then start to win the war for us, to then only hit a button and have this army turn on the Jedi, kill them all, thus putting the Sith in charge, because all along he was playing both sides. Ahsoka also survived Order 66. Yes. Ahsoka survived. Kanan Jarrus survived. There are, there are Jedi in hiding all over the galaxy, but for the most part, they've been exterminated. And technically, Ahsoka wasn't a Jedi, so, you know. She could be like, oh, hey. yeah. <laughs> They're exterminated in Order 66, and the ones who aren't are hunted down by these people called the Inquisitors. Again, something that happens in Rebels and also in Jedi Fallen Order. We see them. For all intents and purposes, most of them are dead. Rogu has, or excuse me, Grogu has, <laughs> as, see, I'm already doing it. Grogu has somehow survived and escaped in hiding until now. Until now, he's he's found. Um, yada, yada, yada. Mando says, hey, you got to train him. Uh, she gives him some tests that are reminiscent to the tests that Anakin Skywalker was given in The Phantom Menace. 
after the test, she ascertains I cannot train him because he's got too much fear in him. Mm. That is obviously Ahsoka remembering her master, Anakin, and what happened to him. But despite his immense gift, because of the fear and the, and the propensity for anger, Anakin was twisted and turned into uh, a Sith Lord and, and obviously created a lot of damage throughout the galaxy. And so she looks at Grogu and sees basically Anakin in the same way that Luke should have seen in Kylo Ren but didn't. A lot of emotion. So let's talk about this for a minute. Anakin at the Jedi Temple got the same sort of review, and it was because he was too old, right? Like he had spent too much time with his mom, which obviously proved to be a pretty big sticking point in Attack of the Clones. So Grogu, because the aging cycle is so long, she's basically saying the same thing, right? Like he's he's too old or like he spent too much time attaching himself to Mando. Right. That's that's what she's saying. She's saying because of that attachment, because he cares so much about Mando and looks up to him as a father, she can't in good faith train him because she is then opening the door for the kid to become emotional about something that happened to Mando and as a result allow emotional learning. Because if you think about in Star Wars, the, the Sith and the Jedi. The major difference is the Jedi preach lack of emotion. To be almost, uh, I don't know if a-emotional or unemotional is the word. And to do everything with logic and that everything is in peace. And the, and the Sith teach the opposite. That uh, emotion and passion exist to fuel us. Our rage exists to make us stronger. And so, you know, if you look up the Jedi code versus the Sith code, which are very kind of uh, opposite. The Jedi code is uh, there is no emotion, there is peace. There is no ignorance, there is knowledge. There is no passion, there is serenity. There is no chaos, there is harmony. There is no death, there is the force. And so this whole idea is that we don't have, I guess you call corporeal attachments. We don't fall in love. We devote ourselves to the force. It's almost monk-like. And there is no dying. When you die, you just become one with the Force. So everything is as the Force wills it to be. And in other words, the Jedi approach things as we are instruments for the Force. And you flow with it, right? The Sith are the opposite, right? The Sith believe that the Force exists for us to use, right? And so peace is a lie. There is only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. The force shall set me free. Basically, it's here for me to use and to use my anger and my emotion to make myself stronger and achieve the things that I want to achieve. When the Jedi see someone who's gifted with the force but is very emotional, they are turned off by it because they believe this opens the path to the dark side. It's the same reason why Yoda fought so hard against training Luke. He said he's too old. He said the same thing. I see much fear in him and much anger. And and that's the path to the dark side. All of those things are why Ahsoka says no. Mando's like, look, this is my mission in life as a Mandalorian to deliver him to his people. You're his people. 
not my problem. You need to hold on to him. And so she says, well, if you help me with this thing, I will, I'll help you. So they go, they fight, yada, yada, yada. She fights against the magistrate. That was a dope scene, though. Just Dope scene. Very, very, Filoni loves samurai movies. Yeah. I mean, he made one. It was sick. Yeah, yeah. Fight in the water garden. We got two women throwing down. Yeah. And of course, the Beskar spear can hold up against lightsabers. So just yep. pretty, pretty cool, man. All of Ahsoka's fight scenes are amazing because we see her, you know, like the one where she cuts through the the gong. Right. And the guy at the same time, the gong kind of just splits in half. The, the one where she cuts through, through a tree to get to the guy. And then she pushes the core of the tree that was cut open and hits a guy over there when she uses the force to snatch one guard's gun and hit the other guard. I mean, they really, I mean, Filoni outdid himself with like cool force wielding uh, kind of things that Ahsoka does, which obviously she's a badass. Because a lot of the fight scenes on The Mandalorian are a bit like more gritty. And so this is the first time we've been able to have a Jedi in the mix and they definitely did a great job. Yes, this is our first real usage of the force. Right, not this little bullshit stealing candy. He lifted up a rhinoceros. Like, yeah, I mean that's still like okay. And then took a nap. Big wolf, exactly. This is someone who knows how to wield the force. I mean, and it's always fun to see like the more advanced force wielders. Again, in Star Wars Rebels, Kanan Jarrus and Ezra Bridger, the first time they come across Darth Vader, you know, Kanan is for Ezra like the most powerful force user he's ever seen, and. And Ezra for Kanan is like, oh, wow, he's so gifted. Look at how quickly and easily it comes to him. And then they fight, fight Vader. And that first time is like, holy shit, because Vader is doing things like making you almost stab yourself with your, with your lightsaber, choking one dude over there and like fighting the other dude over here, lifting up an entire ATAT that had collapsed on him. And it's, it's, that's where that's almost like seeing G League players. <laughs> Like, see, like, an NBA All-Star. It's like, oh, that's what it looks like. A Hall of Famer, I should say. Not even All-Star. And that's why they had to shoehorn Va- that Vader scene into Rogue One, which is the dopest scene in the movie. Yes. Yes, because originally it wasn't there. And they felt like, you know, that was one of the reshoots and the rewrites. Like, we need something. And so they work in that scene at the end where um, they're, the Death Star plans are obviously trying to be uh, – uh, uh, you know, evacuated or, or moved, and so Vader comes through, and he fucking again sushi rolls a whole fucking platoon. <laughs> sushi rolls. Oh, I mean, it is a Japanese play. themed episode, so yeah. Ahsoka fights, and uh, as she defeats the magistrate, we learn what she's been looking for. She's looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. This is another callback to Star Wars Rebels. He is one of the main villains, really the main, the main villain in Rebels after after we see Vader because Vader doesn't make any more appearances in the later season of Rebels. It's more about Thrawn, who was actually a character who was a legend. Uh, he was in Extended Universe. was not canon. He was in these books. Yeah, he was in the novels. The novelizations that were not canon. And so when Disney bought Star Wars, they immediately divided everything into canon and legends. Canon is this is our Star Wars. Legends is all the stuff that you might have read and loved as a fan or a video game you might have played and loved as a fan, but it's not official. Uh, But what they've done is they've 
taken a lot of characters from Legends and said, well, we like it so much we're going to make it canon. And Thrawn is one of those guys. He is an absolute tactician. He is a brilliant military mind. And he is one of the few aliens allowed to serve in the Empire. As you may or may not know, Maze, the Imperials look down on non-humanoid uh, characters. And Thrawn was one of the exceptions because he was very, very smart. Thrawn. This guy's blue as hell. He's blue like Baby Yoda's macarons. Obviously, uh, Thrawn disappears in the last episode uh, along with Ezra Bridger. Um, but I guess Thrawn is back somehow because Ahsoka's searching for him. Or maybe she's searching for him because she thinks that's how she can find Ezra. Creator Dave Filoni says it's possible that it happened chronologically before her last scene in Rebels. Oh, her last scene in Rebels is like, it's one of those epilogue as she's like traveling the universe saying, I'm, I'm going to search or whatever. So yes, technically, theoretically. But that's like one of those like 25 years later, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so, so that's, it's, it's a little cheap, right? Most 99, 99.999% of Rebels occurs before Rogue One. And that last scene is like an older Ahsoka traveling the galaxy searching, right? Kind of like Sam from fucking Quantum Leap looking for the, <laughs> the last leap. The idea that she's searching for Thrawn has to mean she's searching for Ezra, which means be prepared for more characters previously created by Dave Filoni to make a leap into live action, which is, again. But that's it for this season, right? Like, this is uh, Ahsoka's out there. This is what she's up to. We'll come back to her later. We paid off Ahsoka. That, like, she's here. She exists. Five episodes into the this, this season, which is, is it eight episodes or ten episodes this year? Do we know yet? I think it's eight. Second half of the season is here, and we finally see Ahsoka. They paid it off. <laughs> They're probably going to be like, congratulations, nerds. Like, there you go, nerds. She did come in and... She was definitely Ahsoka exposition in this episode, but it, she also mixed in some lightsaber stuff. And overall, well done. Again, my one criticism was like I just wanted a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a buildup before she's introduced, and they just dropped her ass. You wanted some foreplay, is what you're saying? I mean, yeah, just a little bit, like you know, take a little, little bit, you know, spit. Just so not it. get right into it. Like, can't we just like kiss yeah. a little? Yeah, something. Squeeze my thigh. Something. Beyond the obvious uh, samurai Easter eggs or nods and stuff, there's also, Maze, a lot of Easter eggs towards Rebels beyond Ahsoka and Thrawn and all that. For instance, did you notice the Loath Cat? Notice the Loath Cat. I also noticed the little mystical owl. Mystical owl that follows Ahsoka uh, through Clone Wars and through Rebels. Uh, makes an appearance. Uh, the Loath Cat, which I, as I did my research, someone someone will actually lead me. It's not mm. a Loath Cat because they're only Loath Cats when they're on Lothal, mm. which is the planet that Ezra Bridger is from. Because it's not a Loath Cat, technically... It's a Callow Cat. A Tuca is the generic name. So this is like Champagne, right? <laughs> champagne is only <laughs> Champagne if it comes from the Champagne region of France. Anything else is sparkling wine? The American sparkling wine version of a loath cat. Loath cats are loath cats only in Lothal. Everywhere else they are a tuca. And apparently they've been, they've appeared before on The Mandalorian. 
Mando first meets Cara Dune, uh, there's a lost cat that scares Baby Yoda. So I did not, rem- I do not remember that, but I'm going to take this website's word for it. Mando calls it a laser sword, which is a recurring theme in Star Wars. This is the ignorant way to res- refer to a lightsaber. Anakin does it in Phantom Menace. Luke does it very sarcastically in Last Jedi. He tells Ray, "What you think I'm gonna come back with my laser sword?" And da da da, basically mocking the idea that he could be a hero. And uh, Mando, of course, as an ignorant person who's never heard of the Force or the Jedi or any of this, calls it a laser sword. How he knew that his Beskar would hold up against the laser sword? Don't know. Yeah, he didn't even know what they were. Yeah, exactly. Ahsoka explains the Force is an energy field created by all living things. Same exact words that Obi-Wan uses in A New Hope. Also, when the Razor Crest flies over Caladan, one of the soldiers scans the ships just like the Rebel Sentry did with the Millennium Falcon on Yavin. They do a lot of these visual callbacks. Ahsoka tells Mando that he must take Grogu to the ruins of the Jedi Temple on the planet Tython. So this gives us, presumably, the next episode, a mystical location first introduced in Legends canon as the birthplace of the Jedi Order. It was the setting of the Dawn of the Jedi comic book series by John Ostrander and Jan Durzma. Nice. Not canon, now canon. Its role as the birthplace of the Jedi Order is now not canon because the new trilogy establishes Akso as the birthplace of the Jedi Order. Right. So this is just another temple then. It's another temple. Much like there is that temple in, in Rebels that they go to where Ezra talks to Yoda, where the concept of Force FaceTiming first becomes canon. That you can talk to someone through the Force, uh, even if they're not there, but they are still alive. Because we see that obviously when Luke Skywalker projects himself, the astral projection, onto Crate as he fights Kylo Ren to stall uh, the, the First Order from you know destroying the remnants of the rebellion. The gate to the settlement is derived from the concept art, the 1975 concept art produced by Ralph McQuarrie. This is the guy that signed a shit ton of Star Wars stuff. They just keep mining all this, all this data and illegitimate backstory that they have and they decide what they want to use it's just like it's pretty cool how they can reappropriate all this stuff yeah some of the stuff is ralph mccrory concept designs that were just never used some of it is stuff that was in legends and the extended universe that they're now making canon some of it obviously as we've talked about extensively in this episode is stuff from rebels and clone wars that is canon but is an animated series that many people didn't watch so or I shouldn't say many people didn't watch. Many of the newer viewers of Mandalorian and of Star Wars stuff are not familiar with, as familiar with. The plot of this episode is pretty similar to the Kira Kurosawa film Yojimbo, which was about Toshiro Mifune's wandering Ronin battling against crime lords. And also, we've referenced this before, the, the manga Lone Wolf and Cub, Grogu's Trial where he receives the stone and then Mando does it with him with the little metal cylinder that he loves that goes on the <laughs> the gear shift or whatever in the Razor Crest. It's similar to a trial in Lone Wolf and Cub where Ogami asks the child to choose between a ball and a sword. If he chooses the sword, he will be taught the way of the Ronin. If he picks the ball, Ogami will kill him and spare him a life of violence. He chose... The ball, 
but it seems like he's going along for the ride with Mando. I want to talk a little bit about more about Grogu though. You got more Grogu. Well, I'm just curious. Like, so he he's fifty something, right? That's what we know him to be. So he he how long was he at the Jedi Temple training? Like, was he there for like thirty years? So he's as old as Anakin. He's Anakin's age. So he was there like twenty something years. Because Ahsoka says that he trained with a bunch of the masters, and that he's been basically suppressing his powers. In order to stay hidden. Anakin is 22 years old when he turns to the dark side, when Order 66 happens. So that means Grogu was 20, 22 years old. 20 years of school and then 30 years of being a dropout? I, I don't know. See, that's the thing. I don't know if he had 20 years of school. Because as we know, they age so slowly. Maybe they got him when he was 15. But he's not a 15-year-old. He's literally a baby even if he's young and even if he ages slower he should still like learn at like a normal rate especially if he's powerful which right we've learned that he is so i feel like he's suppressing a lot of power he's had a, a strong 30 years of not working out right okay but the bones are there also because it's 30 years of not working out and he will be 900 years old someday He's still, like, not even close to his prime. Yeah. It's really strange. It's just... <laughs> right. I got a lot of questions. Because because at the end of the day, like, we still got to think about it in the context of Yoda was 900 years old, right? So, like, what was Prime Yoda like? How old was Prime Yoda? Is he 400? Yeah. No idea. Right? Like, we don't know. We really don't know. When Yoda's prime was, we've only known Yoda as a really crotchety old man. Because he's super washed in Empire Strikes Back, but then... He's washed in the prequels. The pre- yeah, he's already washed in the prequels. Yeah. Like, that's his, like, last... Like, that fight where he bitches out yeah. <laughs> and fails is... That's, <laughs> like, his last game ever. Yes. That was, yes. That's the last time he fought. He walked off the court. Like, exactly. He said, fuck this shit, and he went to a swamp. I'm telling you, Yoda, like, I keep going about this. Yoda gets such a pass. This motherfucker sat across from goddamn Palpatine. Palpatine, by the way, Palpatine, super troll move. He's sitting right across from him. He's like, Master Yoda, what do you think? And Yoda's like, I cannot, you know, unclear, dark side clouds, everything. I'm like, motherfucker, he's right in front of you. Like, when Luke Skywalker says, like, the Jedi Order deserves to, like, be burnt to the ground and never return. He's right. He's absolutely right. Like, these motherfuckers were, like, in charge. There was hundreds of them. They allowed themselves to, to get duped. Don't even get me started on that idiot Mace Windu. Well, Mace Windu was, was on to something. He was suspicious of Palpatine the whole time. He was the one that was telling the council, I don't like how close he is with, with, uh, with Anakin. Why don't you like Mace Windu besides the fact that he's black? <laughs> I don't see color in space, but he got chopped. Actually, you know what? No, I take it back. I take it back. He he got killed by Anakin. Like he was, he actually defeated Palpatine, and he was about to to end it when Anakin showed up. So this is still like a long-standing argument. Did Mace Windu defeat Darth Sidious, or did Darth Sidious play possum? in order to push Anakin across the finish line of 
mm. come to the dark side. Wow. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I don't think that Palpatine is that good of a fighter. It is his power of manipulation that is his strength. Oh, he's a great fighter. What are you talking about, man? Remember him fighting fighting Yoda? And, and obviously his ability to use Force Lightning that's kind of a game changer, right? Definitely, there. but I do think I do think that he legitimately lost to Mace Windu is what I'm right. getting at. I th- and I think that Anakin and later Darth Vader probably was a better fighter than him as well, but he just had such a strong mental grasp on him and manipulation of him. And he knew that, and that's why he, you know, needed Anakin to become the emperor. It's like a shiny toy that he wanted to have. But yeah, I take it back, Mace Windu. You were doing all right. Not your fault. Yoda. Yeah, when was Prime Yoda? 300 years ago? Yeah. How long has he been washed? He's been washed for quite a while, I would say. If you think about, like, if his lifespan, if his, if his lifespan is basically one year of Yoda time is like 10 years of our time, right? If he died at 900, basically it means like a 90-year-old man. Which would mean like when he was in the Clone Wars and everything, he was... It's in his seventies, <laughs> right? Which means, uh, like, he's in his prime at age three hundred. Keep getting them checks, Yoda. Which is a strong, literal six hundred years prior to like the Empire Strikes Back. Six hundred years. I mean, Yoda must have been around when the Sith were like when there was no rule of two. They were just Sith running around everywhere. <laughs> Didn't prepare him. Didn't prepare him for late in life when there wouldn't be that many. Trash. It's trash. Trash. You're trash, Yoda. All right. Well, back to Grogu. I think that I'm I'm torn because I think that he is going to like the fact that he was trained, the fact that he is not a clone definitively, that he is of Yoda's kind and that he's basically just like been hiding his powers. I, I That's kind of cool and i think that means that they'll be allowed to kind of once he chooses the way of the jedi presumably soon he could probably end up pretty strong like sooner rather than later yeah so uh, if we're again we're, we're going to use the same scale to define his age that means he's like a five-year-old right now right mm-hmm. so like in a strong <laughs> like a hundred years <laughs> Well, yeah, really say- well beyond the scope of this show itself. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Do we get to look forward to Teen Grogu and like yeah. the sequel series to Mandalorian? I am Groot. <laughs> the funny thing that always strikes me, Maze, about whenever they do these, hey, let's do a deep dive into the, the space of time between this and that, right? Rebels is what happened between you know, Clone Wars and Rogue One or, you know, or or New Hope. And the Clone Wars is what happened between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And and now Mandalorian is what happened right after Return of Jedi, obviously well before The Force Awakens. I always think to myself, there are some parameters you can't cross. You got to know. For instance, when I watched Rogue One, I knew everyone was going to die at the end. It's the only logical explanation. How else do you have none of these people appear in A New Hope or, or Empire Strikes Back, whatever. Like, oh, you guys just retired? Oh, thanks, guys. That's it. Cassie and Andor, you're doing all this shit. But, you know, all right, you, you, you can chill now. You do this job. 
Same thing with uh, Rebels. Spoiler alert. Kanan Jarrus dies. And, you know, this was one of the things where, you know, as I got to know Freddie Prince, that show was still going. And I kept telling Freddie, how do you die? And he's like, what do, what, what do you, how do you know I'm going to die? I said, because, Freddie, there's no way there's a Jedi walking around. And we have this whole rebellion. It's like, hey, this guy was wor- – we had another Jedi in this rebellion. Like, what's his name again? I don't know. He he took off. Like, he took off with, with, with General Harrison Dula. <laughs> like, they went off the planet somewhere. Like, at some point, these people have to kind of be reconciled. It was one of the reasons why, at the time, I really didn't like the idea of Ahsoka coming back to life. Yeah. Because if she's, she's alive, then why isn't she helping? But then, I guess now it makes sense that she's been searching for Thrawn this whole time. So, it's a big galaxy sometimes. You know? Yeah, like, is... Is teenage Grogu running around during like the Force Awakens and shit? Yeah. <laughs> like where where's he at? Where you like, at? Where's dude? that first first orders here? Uh Kylo Ren's kind of a dick. Like Hey Grogu. Is Grogu in Luke Skywalker's Academy that he opens at yeah. some point? Is he one of the the students that Kylo Ren kills? They do seem to be all in on Mandalorian kind of setting the tone for the Star Wars universe going forward. So I wouldn't be totally shocked to see some retconning in the future, but it is an interesting question. It's almost like they mis-executed this last trilogy and like if Mando would come first, things would be totally different. Yeah, well, you know, they would have, it's almost like instead of giving it to J.J. Abrams, they should have given it to John Favreau. Or Dave Filoni, or both of them. Or Dave Filoni. It is kind of weird that Dave Filoni is this guy that everyone at, Lucasfilm and in Star Wars specifically looks up to and and he is like the person that they they check things with right he, he is their fact checker hey uh can so and so do this right well no actually you can't but there or yeah that actually it happened in episode this and this and this and so like that's why a lot of people didn't like Last Jedi I loved it because I was like everything in it is canon there's nothing they introduced there that they haven't done before and that only happens when you have someone like Dave Filoni who's fact checking all the stuff for you so yeah and ryan johnson also did a really good job yeah he did a great job the thing that i think held the star wars last trilogy off from being on the level of marvel is a guy like kevin feige and feloni is that guy right it's just that he hasn't been elevated to executive producer of the whole thing right and instead it was kathleen kennedy who Ran it like a business, not like a nerd. Right. Oh, we'll go get J.J. Abrams. And, oh, yeah. we'll just overcorrect to every mistake that we make and fire people early and not let people do the right, movies right. they want. And it's like, Jesus Christ. You kind of need someone who is intimately aware with the source material in order to give you kind of a – like, honestly, I, I did a podcast with Hank Azaria. And Hank Azaria is the first one to call it out. He's like, if you watch the Marvel movies – they know the story. And there's a plan. They know the story the whole way through. Like, it's already planned. They already know, yeah, uh, Captain America is going to fucking die, you know, get old, and, and Iron Man is going to die. And all, like, they knew all that shit. It's just, okay, how do we execute the nuts and bolts of it? George Lucas knew the plan when he was making the prequels, right? It's right. Gonna, or, or when he made the original Star Wars, and he, you know, he knew that. There would be the redemption then, and then the prequels, he knew. Yeah, I mean, even the prequels, like, I still maintain that there's, like, a two-and-a-half-hour cut of, basically, that starts with the Duel of the Fates at the end of episode one, and then is, like, 
half of Clone Wars and like two thirds of Revenge of the Sith that I think is like a perfect movie. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't even, I don't think it's they had filler. I just think yo, like George wrote a great story, and he should have handed it to people who are mm. good at dialogue and yeah. good at character development. Because basically that's what Clone Wars, the TV show was. Yeah. It was, let's take George's story and let, let's make it good. Not, not change the story, but just flesh it out in a way that George wasn't good at fleshing out. The Empire Strikes Back, which is everyone considers the best movie in all of Star Wars, was not written by George Lucas. Yep. The story was, but Lawrence Kasdan and I uh, uh, can't remember the other guy's name, they wrote like all the kind of nuts and bolts of how we get to this point. Luke is handless and fucking finds out that his dad is the worst person. No! It's not true! What they, they didn't have in the new trilogy was they didn't have the story. They told the story of episode seven, and then they're like, now what? Oh, let's get this Ryan Johnson guy. He made this movie. Uh, what was the movie he made that was really... Looper. Looper, yeah. And so he goes and he makes a really good movie that is canon, but obviously takes dramatic shifts away from the what J.J. Abrams, I guess, was plotting out. J.J. Abrams introduces Snoke, and Ryan Johnson's like, no, fuck that dude. Which I liked, but also I can see like you can't run a franchise like that. You got to have an idea, and you got to give your directors like this is the thing. Again, you're right. If Filoni were in charge, we would have had a story for all three seasons, and then they would have, you know, individual directors know the boundaries within which they can cover. And that's when they were trying to make, you know, they made Rogue One. They were trying to launch Solo. They were trying to do the Boba Fett. They were trying to do all the movies at once without right. communicating with each other about like, hey, maybe these should like make sense and fit together like a puzzle. Right. And, and it has to. If you, want, if, you, if you operate in a cinematic universe and things are regarded as canon, you have to be coordinated. You can't let people just do whatever they want, even if what they do is well done. Right. Even if what they do is well done, it still has to fit with everything else. And so Mandalorian, given that there are no movies right now on the horizon and thank God they took it away from the Game of Thrones guys, because that would have been disastrous. You let those guys make the new trilogy. <laughs> but like Mando allows them to kind of find out, like, how do we clean some stuff up in the same way that Rogue One cleaned up stuff in A New Hope? Yep. No people don't want to hear it. A New Hope had some huge plot holes. That are just ridiculous. And Rogue One just goes through and just like, like, how could they start building the Death Star in episode three and not get it done until A New Hope? Well, shit happens, man. You got guys sabotaging the plans and and all that. Like, that's the these filler content vehicles, whether it's Clone Wars or Rebels or Rogue One or Mandalorian, ideally should exist to make the uh, the retcon, to make the other shit make sense. Yeah, I mean, think about like the whole thing about like why is Darth Vader in this fight with Obi Wan in A New Hope? Why is it so stiff and anticlimactic? The real reason is because the actor David Prowse, R.I.P., he just passed away a few days ago. He broke his back. He broke his back before filming the movie and didn't want anyone to know. And so he's like, kind of like, no, I can do it. I'm good. He didn't want to lose the job. 
And so they didn't know until like they get to shoot this thing. And it's like, why aren't you moving? Like, I kind of fucking hurt my back. I'm like, well, we're not going to redo the whole thing now. Oh, well. Also, at the time, David Prowse believed that his voice was going to be used as the voice of, of Darth Vader. No. Jokes on him. It was actually, you know, they, they went over and dubbed it all. But there is a very funny, you can go on YouTube and, and watch the original like you can hear David Prowse say all the lines and his voice just doesn't land. I mean, have you ever seen uh star Wars SC 38 reimagined on YouTube? I had a friend show me this. It's like they, they redo the fight. They scenes redid the fight. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. With like better special effects and better action. Kind of cool. There's some good stuff out there like that. It is very cool. Uh, but I say all that to say, yes, from an aesthetic standpoint, yes, I saw that and it's very well done and it's a lot better than what we saw. But if you retcon it all, a New Hope's version makes more sense. What do I mean? Like Darth Vader is someone who, first of all, is in extreme pain most of the time. He can't move. In the original version of Rogue One, in the meeting with Krennic, he's gesturing wildly. And that was one of the rewrites. They're like, yo, this dude is in pain all the time. He can't gesture wildly. Like, like an Italian stereotype. Everything is very kind of limited. He, he fucking sleeps in a back to tank. The motherfucker's in pain all the time, right? Um, part of that is obviously because of what Obi-Wan did to him. And part of it is by design. The Emperor puts him in this, in this metal suit that keeps him alive, but also keeps him in pain to A, keep his rage going. So he's always powerful on the dark side. But also B, to make sure that like, yo... You ever try to pull those shit on me, I'll fuck you up, which is why he can electrocute him. The suit actually is conducive to electricity, to fucking frying Anakin from the inside. Because the you know, the 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 Emperor wanted a back door basically to know that like if it ever tries to overthrow me, I'll fuck you up. Which is why he was so hell bent on turning Luke before Vader could turn Luke. And, and do what Vader was ultimately planning on doing, overthrowing the Emperor, the rule of two. They said it! Yeah, <laughs> they said it. Ah. The other thing about the retconning is the last time Darth Vader saw Obi-Wan, he literally chopped him the fuck up and let him burn to death, or so he thought. Yeah, if I saw that motherfucker again, I don't care how old he is. I'm going to be a little cautious. I'm not going in like, and, and even everything he says, last time I saw you, I was like, he's talking a good game, but he is still a scared little boy. The last time I, it's like playing against your dad in the driveway and you never beat him. And years later you play him again. And yes, everything about you says, yo, I'm so powerful. I'm so awesome. Now you're old. You're so fucking washed. Da, da, da. But there is an element of fear of like, fuck. This motherfucker did it to us again. I noticed it. When we beat the Spurs in, in 2010, we were up three zip in a series and up 20 in the fucking second half of game four. And Steve Nash gets hit in the eye and has to leave and we have to stitch him up. And when he left, like the Spurs hit two threes to cut it to like 14 or whatever. And I thought, this is it. This is how we lose. Not how we lose game four. This is how we lose the series. We're the better team. We have them on the ropes. We've been destroying them all series long. And yet there's an element of like, fuck, here comes this motherfucker again. You don't really know you can do it until you actually do it. And that's what Vader goes through. And so in many ways, that's what I really enjoy about 
some of the Star Wars retconning. Yeah, man. Fucking makes it better. Explains it in a way that makes the story richer than just, oh, yeah, and then we went and fucking waxed his ass. Like, no, man. Or that Obi-Wan was just playing possum. Like, in that that scene that you're talking about, that someone redid it. It's a cool scene to watch, but it's like, I don't want to see Obi-Wan go from old man to, like, yeah, actually, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. I want him to be an old man. In the same way that, by the way, if you watch Rebels, the, the real death of Maul, because, spoiler alert, Maul doesn't end, die, Darth Maul doesn't die at episode one. He dies much, much later. But he's still killed by Obi-Wan. But it is a very anticlimactic fight because it's two old men. It's not like fucking whizzing around and shit. So... We've gone really long with this episode, but this was a twofer. You guys should be very happy that you got this. Maze, what are you looking forward to for next week? What do you think we go? Or do we you think we go to Tython or or do we go somewhere else? I'll bet you there's a filler before we go to Tython. I'll bet you he makes a little pit stop somewhere and someone else tells him to do one thing for them. <laughs> it's gotta be someone I think it's someone that we haven't seen since last episode. Because they liked it last season. They like to reintroduce us to people. Is Bill Burr still out there? Oh, uh, yeah. He's in jail, though. Okay. I'm going to call it that it's uh, Bill Burr and co. prison break type thing, or they're getting out of jail and they want revenge. And they run into Mando. I like it. All right. This is going to do it for us on Darth Amin's Rule of Two. Uh, this has been a very heavy episode in terms of explaining stuff, but hopefully it makes a lot of sense for those of you guys who love Star Wars or love the Mandalorian but just don't know, like, why is everyone making a big deal out of Soko or some of these things. We'll talk to you next time. Hopefully we won't miss an episode like we did last time. Thank Farrick. Thank you.